Um, okay, do you want to keep talking? Yeah, I want to keep talking. No, I want to sing. All right, sing. Do you want to sing a little? What's a Stan Lee-themed song to sing? Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Spins a web and he's high. Catches thieves just like flies. Look out, here comes Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Spider, 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 Spider-Man. This is gold. This is bold new content is what it is. ready to talk about stanley i am ready i'm so excited okay let's do the thing i tried and then you guys started talking i started going do 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 and then you're like do 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 again no do 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 hi i'm katherine johnson wait are we just gonna are we just gonna do it that we're not gonna say anything she said do 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 but we're not gonna do a stanley intro no we do uh, hi there, after. webheads! Welcome to another swinging episode. I'm Robin Kopic. Oh, I'm gonna kill him. I'm Catherine. I I'm Catherine. I'm Maddie. Do, do, do. And you are listening to Grow Up, a Saturday morning podcast for you know super millennials, where we uh watch things from your childhood and then we, you know, talk about it as adults because. We're grown-ups now, I guess. From NPR, this is All Things Considered. The hour is 8.36. Let's get into today's top stories. And what is today's yeah. top story, Catherine? I don't know. So this week on Grow Up, we are doing the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, the creator behind it all, Stan Lee! So, uh, Robin, what is Stan Lee? St- what is Stan Lee? <laughs> so Stan Lee is a person. Which is something we what? haven't done before. Was, yeah, was a person. Uh, was was a was, person. I mean, person. we're getting into some ontological arguments here, but uh, <laughs> isn't that what we're was. here for? I believe this was Catherine's idea. Yeah, it was Catherine's yeah, idea. Actually, yes. Um, my idea was that we get a Ouija board yep. and <laughs> spend two hours just contacting Stanley one letter at a time, scribing it down, unedited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so but we didn't, uh, I, I, we didn't know uh, if the audience, you people, would like that at all. I just wanted to acknowledge, I guess, the format that we're doing something a little differently here today. We are just, like, talking about a person. That person is Stan Lee, who is the creator of so many of our, like, most famous superheroes. He made Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and the Fantastic, and the Fantastic Four, Four yeah. and X-Men and so many others. Iron Man. Iron Man. Iron Man. Um, Ant-Man. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Me. The Avengers. Me. Um, Me. He made, he made Catherine, which is a really cool fun fact. Yeah, fun fact for all you listeners. Catherine was invented by Stan Lee. But we had like a very loose uh, rubric where we said to each other last week, we are going to find different ways or like our, do our own independent reading about Stan Lee and sort of come together this week, find out 
uh, what we learned, uh, what we read, et cetera, et cetera. So I was curious about what path, paths you guys took for that. I accidentally just read about Steve Ditko. Oh, well, that's cool, too. Oh, no, that's not what the prompt was. <laughs> that's slightly off topic. You're going to get a F for not following the prompt. That happened to me one time in high school. I got a failing grade because I didn't follow the prompt because I thought it was stupid. Good. You should have gotten it. What, what made you? <laughs> why did you read about Steve Ditko? I'm lying. I didn't read about Steve. Okay. Well, I, I was, it was a little I, funny. It was a little funny. I'm, I get that. One of the reasons I thought you might not be joking is just because in the things that I read, well, I'll get into it a little bit more, but uh, I think in a lot of ways, Stan Lee defined himself by the people around him and the people he worked with. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if you had been saying that in seriousness, that I would have definitely been like, I can understand why. Anyways, Robin, what kind of research did you do? When I was introduced to Stan Lee through was Spider-Man, uh, gen- like gen- but more generally, the like the first comic thing that I was ever given was a Marvel Masterworks book, which Ooh. is like the collection uh, that they sell of the first like of of like a bunch of comics put together. So like the first twenty Spider-Man issues or something. And at the beginning of that. There was something uh, Stanley always wrote uh, a letter to the fans introducing the episode or, you know, introducing this Marvel Masterworks and introducing all of the issues that are going to be in there, sort of hyping it up, getting you as a reader excited to read it, et cetera, et cetera. And I kind of did some research because I thought it would be interesting to see if I could find some of those letters. Um, I wasn't able to find those those introduction specifically but what i discovered was that for a lot of the like time that marvel was running stanley uh ran something called the soapbox bullpen bulletin oh different well i'm embarrassed yeah no you no. and inside the bullpen bulletin there was the stan soapbox so i just went back and i read basically all of them from 70 really or from 75 through 68 I think I was able to learn a lot of things about Stanley just based on the way that he presented himself through that medium. Um, yeah, after I watched the movie about him, I kind of got pulled more into like uh, the history of comic books and like the comic book code I was very interested in. That was just very similar to what was going on in film and TV with the Hayes Code. I'm not sure I'm familiar with what the Hayes Code is. Ah, it's very similar to the comic book code. <laughs> it's, so we're jumping right into that, I yeah, guess. let's do it. I was watching a video where I was explaining the comic book code, and they kind of drew an incorrect uh, line from comic book code to the MPAA, which the MPAA is awful, and there's a very good uh, documentary about how it's an evil institution that needs to be destroyed. But I would say it's more like the Hayes Code, which was created in uh, like the 30s, 40s, something like that. Um around the time when they started talking about the comic book code, a bunch of actors had this really righteous party and someone died oh and it was this huge scandal. And so then for years and years and years, we had this thing called the Hayes Code where it was just these obscene laws of what you can't show in a movie. It's like people can't kiss for more than like a second. You can't show people, you can't show someone who's like half black. You can't, talk about drunken you can't show drunkenness unless it's shown in like a uh bad light so very similarly in comic books there was this uh guy named dr wortham 
saying delinquency in teenagers, which was, I guess, a huge issue at the time, or people they thought, thought it was. was yeah. Um, he ran a study in the 40s, I believe, interviewed all his delinquents and, or all these like quote, teenage unquote, delinquents, delinquents, and uh, yeah, and found that they had all read comic books. And this wasn't a very good study because it was something like 90% of just kids at the time read comic books. So it's not so much that like delinquents read comic books. It was that everyone read comic books. But he took from that that comic books were causing juvenile delinquency. <laughs> and uh, at first they kind of made a comic book code or something like the first couple of years of it it wasn't a big deal um but then there were these uh congressional hearings oh, that wortham came and spoke at in the 50s um that were about delinquency and he brought it up again and it became a huge deal and they created the comic book p- code and an association around that and for a very long time it was thought you're not going to be able to sell a comic book unless it has this seal on it Hmm. that says approved by the comic book code commission, whatever they're called. And uh, that went on for years and years and years until it was something like 1970. It was actually Stan Lee who ran the first like big comic without that code on it. And no one noticed. And that (laughs) led to them completely rewriting it. And it was, uh, it was Spider-Man number 96 that um, showed drug use, like someone takes some pills and falls off a building and Spider-Man saves them. And they and it was actually like commissioned by like the drug-free council or like a, some health thing to show drugs in a bad light. And they sent it to like the commission and they turned it down. And over at DC, they were thinking of doing something similarly with the Flash and Green Lantern mm-hmm. about drugs. And they had had it like just bonked down and they walk over and Stan Lee's gonna do this and they're like well what are you gonna do he's like I'm just gonna fly it without the seal and see what happens yeah (laughs) and it sold amazingly then they rewrite it and then immediately DC went and wrote their book about the flash getting addicted to heroin Wow. (laughs) so yeah so that was Stan Lee that's okay that does the one of the recurring themes that I noticed throughout these soapbox letters because there were a lot of things that he did or said that he would come back to, but though one of the things that he came back to most often, and obviously this is, you know, a product of the fact that he viewed comics as an art, but mm-hmm. he consistently talked to the readers about how he wanted to, and I quote, upgrade the image of comics in the mind of the public. He talked about in one of the letters how he went to a comics convention in Italy, and this was in like 1969 or something like that. He went to a comic book convention in Italy and he was astounded. He said he was amazed. In Europe, they do things so differently. The people who read comics there are, you know, people in suits, businessmen, doctors, uh, people wow. who like in, in America, the exact opposite of the kind of crowd that would read, you know, they're like, and, and as somebody from, from Europe, I like, I have a distinct memory you know growing up in my childhood of of like everybody takes comics seriously like Tintin is you know for kids but like people read it and like Asterix and Obelix is a very intelligent comic and people take it very seriously over there and it's it's considered reading it's considered literature and and Stanley saw this he had this passion he I mean he mentioned it in a good dozen letters that I read just about how uh he thought he felt that it was important for the American public to 
take comics more seriously. Yeah, and even prior to the 60s, like, he couldn't even tell people that he was he worked as a comic maker, as a, a writer for comics, because he had to just tell them that he was a writer and his illustrators all just had to say that they were illustrators and leave it at that because comics were so tied to this idea of delinquency that they thought they were poisoning America's youth. Stan Lee once published, like in his, in his Stan soapbox, instead of writing a full letter himself, he published a letter that had been sent to him from a professor that said, mm-hmm. I have been using comics as a tool to tutor young children uh, and substandard oh. readers. And what we are finding is that your comics are incredibly useful in terms of it getting kids interested in reading in, in ways that they wouldn't normally Aww. be. And helping uh, these people who are considered substandard readers to catch up uh, a lot more quickly than they have in the past. It wasn't like a scientific study, but it was him saying, like, I, uh, under my purview, there are almost a thousand people being tutored, and we have found this to be a significant tool. He never intended to be a comic book writer. He yeah. was going to write the great American novel, yeah. but got, it, <laughs> got like a day job working with timely comics, as Marvel was called back then like f- refilling ink wells and things like that but uh he was there long enough that when the two guys who ran the place left he got put into the editor position until they could find like an actual adult to come take it over and That's that funny. just never happened he was like 20 years yeah. old right yeah he was like 18 he was very young and uh he stayed there for a really long time not really enjoying what he was doing. Timely Comics wasn't super popular. His wife was fucking amazing. I loved them as a couple. Um, Yes. In the documentary, they were so charming and cute. But uh, yeah, so he stayed with them for a long time, working on stuff he didn't necessarily enjoy doing. And I want to say it was like already 20 years he had been with them because he started so young. Um, he was going to quit and he was going to try to find some other job. Oh, and that's where his name Stan Lee came from. Yeah. Was that he didn't want to put his actual name on any of this work. His wife said, well, why don't you take one last shot and write something that a comic book the way that you would want to write it. And the worst is that they're going to fire you and you want to quit anyways. And that's one of the most influential things anyone has ever said to anyone in comic book history. Yeah. Because then he wrote the Fantastic Four, right? And it started the uh, Silver Age of comics mm-hmm. where, like, that World War Two and Superman and all that stuff is, like, known as the Golden Age of comics. And then the Silver Age of comics comes in, introduced by Stan Lee, where it's more focused on the people who are wearing the costumes. Mm-hmm. And they have flaws and they argue and they have doubt and they have issues and that's what completely revolutionized everything and that's what made the company that became marvel that's how suddenly they surpassed dc comics after being just like a tiny tiny company for years and years and years one of the letters that i read he was talking about he referred to the dc versus marvel uh, argument as a fatuous little feud in 1968 <laughs> But like he, yeah, he said it so joking, so just kind, of just like yeah, this this doesn't really mean anything. The reason he was bringing that up is because in his Stan soapbox prior to that, he had been referring to DC as big eh, E C H H H in all capital letters, and he wrote a letter saying, "I just want to inform you that we've formally been referring to this 
particular company as Big Ech. Um, we don't want to do that anymore. And the reason for it is because while we were doing that, we were a small, growing company uh, making fun of people who are above us. Now we are one of the leaders in the industry. And the quote that he says, when you're on the top of the heap, it doesn't seem right to rib the other guy who hasn't quite made it, which is nice. It's also like very uh, insulting. insulting. <laughs> <laughs> but it's insulting in a self-aware way yeah i love the idea that as soon as they were on top they were like this is a petty little feud. Um, nothing matters but it's it's insulting in, a, in the way that stan lee is insulting in the sense that it's always like being self-aware and making fun of himself in the process so it's like it's it's i think mm-hmm. i think it's really a unique insight because it shows that a he doesn't actually care that much about the marvel versus dc feud he's like we both make comics. This is awesome. I love that the world is taking comics seriously now. Then also he's willing to say, but also it just doesn't seem right to be like being insulting to this company. You know, we don't need to be, but here's one last final insult and it's quite wry. So Robin read comics. Voraciously. Yeah. <laughs> Growing up. And and I don't think Catherine no, or me, I did. I liked the movies a lot growing up. We did hold a poll to see how people enjoyed to enjoyed uh, consuming Stan Lee's oh, did we? creations the best, and it seemed like our audience right now likes the movies or liked the movies. It's because everybody these days is a loser. <laughs> <laughs> Robin, I do, I do admit back. that like it's not as cool to have watched the movies because those just came along so much later. But like, um, I think it's the more common yeah. introduction yeah. to Stanley. So we are representing both of those. But Robin is a lifelong yeah. <laughs> comic book consumer, and so that's why we thought this would be interesting is because like oh robin's been into this his whole life it's i've talked about this when we watched spider-man that yeah. like i when we would go see mm-hmm. um all these comic book movies coming out because they came out when we were like in middle school and high school i would always try to sit next to robin because he would just have so much to say <laughs> i heard something you said reflected in something stan lee said in this documentary last night oh yeah and it was it was I think it was the hulk after we watched the hulk and you were so mad rightly so (laughs) about it and you were like i just don't get why they don't tell the stories from the comics the comics are so good i don't know why they're not doing that yeah before spider-man 2002 and Mm x-men uh marvel movies and live action adaptations were very just like skin deep and stanley had the exact same like yeah issue with them he's like i don't know why they don't do what we're Mm -hmm. doing which is like he's like we know who these characters are and they have so much to them and they have so much depth and i don't know why every live ad- action adaptation hasn't been taking advantage of that yeah there was like this really awful spider-man live action that like after a few episodes he went and talked to cbs about it to how to make it better <laughs> and they ignored him and it got canceled immediately so when they actually announced uh sam raimi's spider-man the documentary was showing all like John Stewart making fun of it and like every uh news article oh, that was wow. coming out was like saying that like because it's Marvel we know it's going to be awful like it was a foregone conclusion because for years and years and years every Marvel live action adaptation was just terrible you knew yeah. it was going to be bad like the way that like if Twilight 5 were yeah. coming out right now we'd be like well it's a Twilight movie so we know it's going to be bad right but then 
which is so weird to think now because there are so many like legitimately good parts of like the Marvel film canon. Yeah. Especially Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah, I didn't find a lot of criticism about Stan Lee. The biggest one was that he claims credit for things that aren't necessarily his creation. Oh, is that true? I don't know. <laughs> like I saw someone explaining that and I like everything I watched, he was very big about making sure was it Jack or Joe Kirby? It was Jack, Jack Kirby and he always made a point to credit those guys. Yeah. yeah, and Steve Ditko. Like he made a big point of crediting them. But then uh there was a I did watch a lot of video of him like on red carpets when the movies started going well and he was so excited and but he did make a lot of comments of like I created this wow I'm not upstaging you and stuff like jokingly uh-huh. it doesn't offend me you know but I do think he in that way like does seem a little full of himself like I'm amazing I'm great but it doesn't really offend me given right. yeah. everything he's done yeah and I think he gives credit where credit is due the most common theme in all of these soapbox letters is giving credit to other people. He yeah. spends a large amount of time in like the like percentage-wise over the course of the years on these soapboxes telling you the names of the people who worked on the projects, getting you excited about them working on those projects. Um like saying and now I want it like in a very egalitarian way, he makes sure to address as many different groups as possible. He says, I want, like, there's one, I have a note where he speaks directly to the, uh, like, producers, the small time, et cetera, et cetera, like printers or whatever. He, like, writes his soapbox letter to them saying, thank you for everything that you do. Thank you. And by making it public, obviously, he's, he's like, he's saying, hey, everybody, you should be saying thank you as well. Um, yeah. And then one quote that I had from him is here the artists actually collaborate with the writer which is to say at other uh news or at other comics at the time when they started the writer was in charge of the story and the artist would just do what the writer said what the writer said but stan lee's process was different because he would let steve ditko and and the other writers have a significant amount of control over the direction of the character, the tone, the the mood. Yeah, there were so many things that like the artist and the, the authors collaborated on, and he wants everybody to know that, that it's a process between more than one mind, that it's like, regardless of, of whether, you know, fame got to his head in old age or, or whatnot, and behind the, the veneer of, of arrogance, there's always been for him a desire to participate in creative works. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. He actually, because Jack Kirby was like his biggest illustrator. And he like in this documentary, he had so many interviews where he's just talking about how amazing Jack Kirby is. But when he brought him Spider-Man, he didn't think he was quite getting it. And so he brought it over to Steve Ditko, and he considers Steve Ditko the co-creator of Spider-Man. He thinks he's, like, put as much into it as he has. And uh, he could tell Steve Ditko didn't feel like he was quite getting the credit for that. So he wrote this letter that's like says, like, to whom it may concern, I, like, unequivocally believe that St- Steve Ditko is the co-creator of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you can show this to anyone you want to show it to. <laughs> 
I did have a Spider-Man video game, a computer game. And uh, I remember one of the things about it, like it was narrated by Stan Lee, or at least a Stan Lee impersonator, but I'm pretty sure it was narrated by Stan Lee. And, I think it was him. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it starts with, hi, web slingers, co-creator Stan Lee here. Aww. So just like, like even on some random video game from the early thousands. Because the way these guys were, like, complaining about it, they're like, he do- he really takes credit for things that weren't, like, that much his creation. And it's like, he wrote Spider-Man. Yeah. He wrote it. <laughs> like, he created Spider-Man. And he was in the room for many of these comics, like, standing on desks being like, yeah, this is yeah. how it should be. And, like, whether or not he was the writer on it, he had a lot of influence on a lot of those comics. I was reading um, his hand in... The, the arc that's now known as the night Gwen Stacy died mm. and it's like 102, 103 Spider-Man, something like that uh-huh. and um, he didn't have a huge hand in it where he was like on his way out of his office, he was trying to get out of there because he had some business to do in like Europe for Marvel and the writer came in and said, we want to kill Gwen Stacy and he like didn't even really hear them, he was just trying to get out of the country and he said whatever you think you need to do go ahead and then he came back and they killed Gwen Stacy oh my god a really wonderful culture that I seem to have missed growing up and I kind of lament that because I wish I had been a part of this community the way I'm part of the Harry Potter fandom or any other fandom because this one seems so rich but it was also so much more it wasn't I would I would mm-hmm. don't want to say that it was geared toward boys, but yeah, it was. Oh no, it definitely like uh, not not to interrupt, but that that particular thing about being geared toward boys, like one thing about Spider Man that I read recently, like Steve Ditko's influence on on the story of Spider Man led it to have a lot of like Steve Ditko had a very sort of conservative like masculinity kind of philosophy about himself about the world. And that influenced the way that Spider-Man as a character was, which is interesting because I think it didn't end up doing what Steve Ditko would have wanted it to, at least in people like me. I I think I very deeply believe that Spider-Man Peter Parker helped make me a more sensitive person. Robin, did you read X-Men? I did read, uh, I read the second, the original Wolverine X-Men. X-Men is just like about a world that's, never going to tolerate different people and how to teach tolerance via the victims of intolerance. Very much from the experience of the victims and the world they have to live in. Mm. I have, I saved a couple soapboxes about racism. Okay, right here. Stan's soapbox. Let's lay it right out on the line. Bigotry and racism are among the deadliest social ills plaguing the world today. But, unlike a team of costume supervillains, they can't be halted with a punch in the snoot or a zap from a ray gun. The only way to destroy them is to expose them, to reveal them for their in- for the insidious evils they really are. The bigot is an unreasoning hater, one who hates blindly, fanatically, indiscriminately. 
If his hang-up is black men, he hates all black men. If a redhead once offended him, he hates all redheads. If some foreigner beat him to a job, he's down on all foreigners. He hates people he's never seen, people he's never known, with equal intensity, with equal venom. Now, we're not trying to say it's unreasonable for one human being to bug another, but although anyone has the right to dislike another individual, it's totally irrational, patently insane to condemn an entire race, to despise religion. Sooner or later, we must learn to judge each other on our own merits. Sooner or later, if man is ever to be worthy of his destiny, we must fill our hearts with tolerance. For then, and only then, will we be truly worthy of the concept that man was created in the image of God, a God who calls all his children. That's really beautiful. <laughs> and that went in a comic book for children. Yeah, we need more of yeah. that today, right now, right this second. Things I admire about Tony Stark is his drunkenness. Ah, um, uh, yes, his alcoholism. Yep. His alcoholism and uh, his proximity to danger while being drunk yep. is something I like. And uh, <laughs> his relationships aren't good. I like that a lot. Um, the Iron Man movie, and I think even though those started this like superhero thing, I think what really kind of cemented the way Marvel was going to go was Iron Man because it was... Yeah, was... I think Iron Man definitely felt like it was the... Yeah. yeah. It's, it's similar to the gamble that they took with Deadpool years mm. and years later. Because it's like, he's going to get drunk and flirt with girls and then shoot guns and you're going to like it. <laughs> And Marvel was a forerunner in portraying black people in their comics, apparently. Mm -hmm. Like, they're f they first introduced Luke Cage in a Stan soapbox. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, to, like, really bring attention to him. And I read something that says that was their first black superhero, but then I also think uh, there was someone who fought with Captain America. The Falcon. The Falcon, and uh, who was seen as like equal to Captain America, they were partners. He wasn't like a um, sidekick. Right. And cool. but then we got then we got Black Panther. What I like most about Stanley was how much his wife joked about spending his money, but she wasn't really joking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can we just talk about them for a second because they were so adorable. They were like the best couple, and they were married for like seventy years. Yeah. She died in 2016, 17. It was pretty recent. I didn't know she was dead, but that makes sense. <laughs> That's one thing I think a lot of uh, that, like, Spider-Man Homecoming got right. Is the, like undercurrent just a sense of cheekiness and humor that runs through so much of everything that stanley does home i think spider-man homecoming got that right and iron man movies i think also got that right but a lot of the other works the ones that i tend to like find you know my personal opinion the, the ones that tend to be less good also happen not that these two are like causatory but that there's a correlation between the fact that they don't have the sense of cheekiness, the sense of humor that he put into everything he did. What do you and guys that, think you is going to happen to Marvel now that he's gone? Uh, gay superheroes. One complaint about Stan Lee is while he was uh, very much on the cutting edge of tolerance towards 
or not tolerance, but he was progressive when it came to racism. Um, he was interviewed like a few years ago about like if he had any gay superheroes, and he's like, I had not thought about it until you asked me just now. <laughs> yeah. So. And he was, like, 90-something <laughs> when he got asked that. That is so funny that nobody ever asked him that. Yeah. <laughs> he never had to like, think about it. He's like, I've just never done it. And he said, he's like, I don't know that I would write a gay person because I don't, I am not gay and I don't understand it. And it's like, well, you're also not black, but. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but then Iceman, they had him come out as gay in X-Men in the last few years, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't read the comics anymore, or he didn't, because he couldn't see them. And he had somebody asking him a question about it, and that's how he found out. And he was just kind of, like, surprised. He was like, really? They really did that? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, I didn't know. I didn't know that about Iceman. And, like, that was his response. <laughs> like, as that's if Iceman were... That's <laughs> disappointing. No, I kind of I mean... like that as a response. I didn't know that about Iceman. As if he were a real person, you know? Yeah. That's like he's 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 accepting that the thing about this character of one like a thing that he didn't know like as a person is just oh oh I didn't I didn't know that yeah it's as if he's a either he thinks that Iceman's a real person or he just genuinely accepts the writers who are now writing him mm-hmm. and he just went oh I didn't know that we're like J.K. Rowling you know like <laughs> would like, never say if, that if I'd known it had made you this happy I would have done it sooner yeah. okay J.K. Rowling like having just done J.K. Rowling I'm more forgiving of Stanley it, it's a bummer because it feels like X-Men is such an allegory for like People who are people of color and people who were gay and, you know, like, that's mm-hmm. what X-Men feels like a lot. But, um, but yeah, I'm definitely having just done J.K. Rowling's stuff. I'm so much more forgiving of him to not respond. Well, yeah, I've known that all along. If only I had known. I'm the best. Yeah. I'm J.K. Rowling, champion of the gods. I, I respect Stanley a lot more for saying, oh, yeah, I hadn't ever considered doing that. A quote, a quote from Stan's soapbox. One of the things we try to demonstrate in our yarns is that nobody is all good or all bad. Mm. Oh, I like that. Unless you're Carlisle Cullen. (laughs) (laughs) Which Robin is, according to the which Twilight character are you quiz we took last episode. Should we do a quiz of what Marvel character we yep. are? But I'd probably cut out all the questions because it won't be as funny as the last one, and we shouldn't make a habit of just doing a quiz every episode. <laughs> but I do want to know. I do want to know. I also want to know. Yeah. Which is your preferred method of fighting? Magic weapons, melee tech, or rage? <laughs> magic, Mine absolutely rage. for sure. Magic. I got a Nutra Blender. Yay! Nice. I'm a neutral bullet from Macy's. You have to close the ad. Oh, okay. oh my god. Yeah, it's all yell at the same time. Okay. One, two, three. Iron Man. The Hulk! Wolverine! Okay, well, that was definitely not at the same time. Yeah. Good job, <laughs> friends. Good job, everyone. Mine says you are one- Wolverine, the 100-year-old mutant. There's a 1% chance that you will end up dying, but only one person has done it in in one of the multiverses. You care about the X-Men, mutants, and not much else. I don't like that. Too bad. It's final. You are the Wolverine. Well, I don't mind being the Wolverine, but I don't like their description of the Wolverine. Well, too bad. I have claws, and I have teeth, and I... 
ever get no. hurt because I I have normal human teeth, but I still have. Yeah, teeth. you have normal human teeth. <laughs> Don't you? But so do I. Yeah, and you can say that you have teeth, but I have oh teeth God. also. Well, here I am. I'm the Hulk. I have teeth. I have eyeballs. I have a nose. I have hair. I have skin. I have feet. I have hands. I have fingernails. I have pectoral muscles. I have shoulders. I have abs. I have a butt. I have a butthole. How many buttholes do you have? Seven. I have one as a wolverine. Well, you'll never guess how many buttholes I have. Zero, because you're I'll a robot I'll never guess, man. Robin. Robin, I'll never guess how you'll many buttholes I have. You'll never guess how many buttholes I have. There's a finite number of buttholes you could have. Literally, Nuh-uh. no, there isn't. Numbers don't have an end. Yeah, but buttholes do. Who says? You'll never, ever guess how many buttholes I have. 400. No. Three. No. Seventeen. No. Zero buttholes. Zero buttholes. I have no butthole. You said I would never get that, and I got that in three guesses. Uh, What does she get in payment? Knowledge. No. Ew. Take it back. I don't want it. I want my bananas erased from the bet record. Wait, what? I will still bring you two eggs, but I don't owe you any bananas. That's what I want. Ooh, shit gets real. Oh, man. I made my decision. Do you accept? I guess I have to, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Damn, I was looking forward to those bananas. You still get two eggs. I'll tack them back on, just you see. Just you wait. Yeah, it probably will happen. I don't think it's going to take very much time for you to owe him bananas again. (laughs) (laughs) I will owe him bananas by next episode, I assure you. What else have you to say about your grandpa? (laughs) (laughs) Let me just uh, go through and read some notes. We believe in our superheroes. He, similar to what, what we were saying about his response to Iceman coming out, is I didn't know that about him. He has faith in these characters as human beings and as a product <laughs> both ways he <laughs> cares about them mind. as he cares about them as people strongly and he also cares that like he it's because he cares about them so much as people that he knows he has the winning formula to creating something that people will buy and so like he's willing to hype up his product because that base level is that he knows how good it is. This is one of the ways in which I thought he was similar to a YouTuber and that they will be like over top, just be like, we have the best video coming out for you. And that's kind of the way he talks. So there there was that similarity there. The comics got popular with like young adults rather than just kids. He would go do these lectures at college campuses. And he said that it was like more for his benefit than theirs because he would walk out knowing so much about what everyone wanted and it would completely shape what they were going to do. It's funny that you bring that up, too, because one, like I remember several letters where he would write in his soapbox, I visited so-and-so college today. I talked to so many incredible people. Shout out to all of the students at blah, blah, blah. Here's your call out. One of the things he wrote about another calling out or another like shout out, not calling out, but like shout out that he did was, and I thought the wording of this was interesting especially like for a company's branding. One of the reasons he liked collaborating with people at Marvel, he called them 
you'll, he said, you'll never find a more ethical or honorable creative group. That's really important to have in your creative team as well. I, I strongly agree. I, I, yeah. I think that's something that like these days is kind of like a de facto assumption in terms of like creating art. But I, I feel like especially in a world of, of comics back and back then, and even kind of the way, like, I, you know, I I don't know much about DC, so this is not, like, meant to be directed at them in any derogatory way. But my sort of general sense of, of at least comics at the time is that it was, it was meant to be more uh, entertainment for, enter, like, entertainment's sake and maybe subtract anything, like, contentious or political from it. I don't know that, so I can't. I can't say that that's the case. But I, what I do know is that it, in Stan Lee's work, uh, that was something that was valued. Was that that a sense, a strong sense of ethics? I think that was a driving force of his creations. Was his grasp on ethics and the way things should be and the way we should see people, and that's the kind of work that he created and. That's his mark. I watched like an interview with him where he was talking about like the difference between like Spider-Man and Batman, where it's they have kind of a similar creation story in that like they are spurred on by a crime where a family member is killed. But he said he always wondered why they a superhero would do this the rest of their lives and wouldn't just like start a family. And so that's what he wanted to show in Spider-Man that like he always has this guilt for having partially caused Uncle Ben's death. Mm-hmm. And he's um, just a young man who really believes in ethics and morality mm-hmm. and doing the right thing. And so that's what he wanted to be really clear with Spider-Man about. And that you too as a teenage er can do the right thing and have a sense of morality mm-hmm. that is your own. He taught so many kids so many good lessons. I'm not a kid. No, but... <laughs> Another point that I have written down, he always relished a challenge because he knew he could Mm -hmm. think of a solution that suits him. And so he wasn't ever Mm -hmm. scared to take one on. Like, no matter what the challenge was, he was just like, I bet I could do that. I I think I could find a solution. And he does it. And this is a very grandiose note to have written in relation to his shortest soapbox, which was, I'm only writing this... I only have enough space to write to tell you that I don't have enough space to write this. <laughs> Which was just like, you know, a clever a clever way to still connect with the readers while working within the like space constraints of a, a longer bullpen bulletin or whatever. Yeah. Also, as a comic book reader, one of the lessons that he like put in all of his characters was you can find a way to do something. You can, you can always work out a way to do the right thing. There's always a solution. That's something that, like, I think maybe it doesn't get translated so much into the, like, superhero movie, like, cinematic universe, because by nature they are much less episodic. But, like, maybe some of the TV shows are less so. But in, in his comics, because you go through so many villains, there are so many different, like, things that they have to like go through character wise in order for it to be a compelling story at least that uh that uh, you know it starts to become a puzzle so as an author he has to be coming up with uh new 
villains, authentic storylines, etc., etc. That's a challenge in and of itself on a very regular basis. But then also the characters have to overcome the problems within that story in their own unique way every time. And mm-hmm. that is what gets conveyed to the reader, at least me as a kid, you know. I grow up thinking, I cannot give up. I can keep going. I can keep fighting because something is going to be able to, like, work. Like, that's one of the things about early Spider-Man. The very first time he fights Doc Ock ever, the way that he beats him is through science. He actually does not... Punch him up? I mean, he 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 ends up punching he him does up. Does a little but, punching him up. Don't but, don't worry about that. But the but the way the punching up is is manifested is by creating an acidic solution that binds Doc Ock's tentacles to each other so that they can't be used against him. And then he punches him. And then he punches him. I think think that's clever because it should you know it's it's also telling you like you can be this all like incredibly powerful superhero with superhuman reflexes and strength and you can stick to walls and there can still be things that can beat you and there can still be ways to overcome those things anyway very innovative man he liked me he didn't like anyone else is that true i remember reading that actually it was in one of his soapboxes yeah one of the soapboxes here let me see if i can find the quote uh i like Catherine and I like no one else. Mm. Oh yeah, Excelsior. that's it. Yeah. I mean, I would be more tickled if I hadn't had like a million people already. <laughs> I mean, he's dead now, so you can like, you can claim some ownership on this and just be. I don't need high. that. I don't. I know who I am. <laughs> so obviously, I only consumed the movies. Avengers came out when I was in college and I was in film school and I was definitely having a hard time learning to get out of the theater thing (laughs) and into the movie thing and I was getting a really snooty taste in movies and was watching like a lot of good classic movies (laughs) and then uh, Avengers came out and I was kind of over the comic book thing, but for some reason I was going to a middle-of-the-night premiere. And um, I just, like, remember being in that theater so clearly after the opening yeah. when the letters came up and they kind of did this, like, slow turn and the light broke past them. And I just remember thinking, like, this is one of those instances where this could only be done in a movie theater. This is something only a movie could give me this feeling. And it made something sacred about, like, blockbusters to me. Mm. That it's not just about, like, Citizen Kane and, 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 uh, like, there is something very amazing about a good blockbuster. And that's an art of itself. It is an art of itself. And I think, I like, I very strongly agree with you. I'm resonating. I haven't really thought of it in these terms before. So this is me kind of, like, ideating, uh... A thought in, re- in response to what you're saying i think there are yeah i think maybe blockbusters get like a net negative perception but because of what they you're are. right as an art form there are some directors who are good at making blockbusters and some who aren't i love a good art house film i love a good drama but i also love a good blockbuster yeah it's like with a good movie you know you can remember the first time you saw it in the theater mm-hmm. and i have a lot of those moments with Avengers. Yeah. Mm. There are a lot of moments I remember the first time I saw it sitting in that chair. 
So that's what I think a good movie is. You can only tell that story in a movie. Does anyone else have a story to tell? I don't. I didn't have any, like, super formative experiences with Stanley. Shmarvel. Shmarvel. Well, you will soon have. This is the beginning of your consumption. Yes! I mean, like, I've... Eat Stanley! Stanley. I I do enjoy some good soup. And some good movies. But I'm legitimately interested in, in... reading some comics too i read i read his comics like a like a pie you read them like a pie yeah like a pie eats crows what wow hot <laughs> take no that's, that's a solid hot. reference wait what was the reference to well four and twenty blackbirds pies eating crows i don't fucking know robin just says weird shit sometimes okay. solid reference to uh Children's nursery rhyme from like the 16th century or something. Come on, guys, My stick God. with me. Uh, <laughs> let's go. This and every episode features a song enthusiast by Tours. To make a suggestion, tweet the name of your favorite show, movie, book, or video game, or, you know, person, to at GrowThePodUp with a brief message about why it was meaningful to you. You can also send us a voice message with your suggestions to GrowThePodUp at gmail.com. Share a personal story, a fond memory, or a funny little anecdote about one minute long, and with your permission, we'll share your message on the air. You've been listening to Grow Up, a Saturday morning podcast with me, Katherine Johnson. Me, Robin Coppock. And me, <laughs> Maddie Gray. Do you like what you hear? Oh, we hope so. So if you do, please leave us a review on iTunes or on our Facebook page. If you really like us, share our podcast with your friends, please. But also follow us on your favorite social media platforms. We are at Grow the Pod Up on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. And it's not just, you know, podcast announcements. Sometimes we get fun memes or questions or polls like the one you heard about Stanley and Soup. So please join us next time when we're doing something really creepy. It's a creepy thing we're doing, but you demanded it of us. You demanded it. We're doing Return to Oz. And here's the voicemail that this suggestion came from. Hi, guys. I absolutely adore your podcast, and I'd love to see you tackle a specific piece of media from my childhood. When I was a kid, I watched the film Return to Oz probably about every day for a year, and each time it scared my boots off. I watched it again as a teenager, and I realized... This isn't just a film made to terrify little children, give them nightmares, and induce bedwetting, but it's also got some really interesting themes. Themes like protecting your individuality, curating your creativity, and stopping those who might try to oppress you. I would love to see you guys watch this film, see what you have to say, and if you do, Maddie, I want to watch it with you. Also, this is Justin, your game master, not just some random dude who wants to come to your house and watch a movie. Bye! Shoink, doink, doink, doink. Okay, sure, let's do it. Great, great. Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So join us next week for Return to Oz. Goodbye. Bye.